hello. Hey. Hello. How's it going? Pretty good. Fantastic. That's great. I feel like since it's uh, October, we need to get like a spooky version of the podcast song. Add like some in there. Maybe just for the mini episodes. I want to just like uh, pull, like sample the like Marley and Marley song from Muppet Christmas Carol. (laughs) Have you seen that? Mm -mm. So every year my family watches the Muppet Christmas Carol on Christmas Eve. And there's this scene. Do you know the do you like the Muppets? Do you know the Muppets? Yeah, I've seen like a few of them. So you know the two old curmudgeony men that just like laugh at people. Yeah. So they're Marley and Marley in the Christmas Carol. Oh, okay. And they come back and they like sing this awesome song to Michael Caine about how they're Marley and Marley. Ooh, <laughs> like I just want that for <laughs> uh, for the podcast song. Hmm. I just want to pull that. Ooh. Maybe I will. Maybe I'll do just that. <laughs> Clear me the samples and we'll we'll make it happen. Do it. Welcome everybody to episode thirteen of We Watch Movies and Then Talk About Them. It's a baker's a dozen. Regular a true dozen. baker's dozen. <laughs> it's a baker's dozen. We've made it. We made it. It's Finally. A, it's a baker's dozen. Just like the last few weeks. The right way. No, because the baker makes a dozen and then he eats one, so it's eleven. No. Yeah, that's how they get it. No. That's how you. That's how you do it. Yeah, that's the calculation. No, if you, you if you say that the baker's eating it, then he eats one, but still has to make a dozen. That's why bakers are fat. So it's thirteen. The baker's dozen is thirteen. One for you, twelve for everybody else. Hmm. Maybe so. There's no way to know. Uh, Google it. My name. Or is just trust us. Andrew Weston. So, <laughs> I am the host of this here podcast. Wait, you just cut me off. <laughs> joined at my right hand by Becca. Hello, it's me. At my left hand and at Becca's right hand due to the circular nature of our table by Sid. Hi. How's everybody doing? Sleepy. It's late. Very sleepy. It's very it's late. late. We, uh, we ran out of taco seasoning and so we had to start the movie late. That is true. <laughs> both, those, both those statements are true. <laughs> Today, we're going to be discussing, uh, oh, geez, why do they do this to me? Uh, Bong Joon-ho's Snowpiercer. <laughs> Don't destroy me. I'm sure that I, I said that wrong. I think you said that wrong. Thank you. <laughs> Would you like to take a whack at it? Nope. Joon-ho Bong. But it says as Bong Joon-ho. Why is it different? I don't know. Couldn't tell you. We're going to be discussing Snowpiercer today. Uh, Snowpiercer. Woo-hoo came out in the year 2013 it was a different time back then was it it was okay and uh it stars captain america and the lady from hidden figures and ed harris and also john hurt and also tilda swinton come on come on on. Come on, Tilda Swinton. Octavia Spencer, that's her name. Uh, Ewan Bremer's in this movie. There's a lot of people in this movie. It's a large cast. Lots of lots of extras. If you were an extra on the set of Snowpiercer, open invitation to all the people. <laughs> if you want to come on the all podcast, the extras. if you were an Just extra on Snowpiercer, I would like you to come tell me if Chris Evans is as attractive in real life as he is on film. I can guarantee. I would say yes. yes. Probably hotter. I guarantee that, but... 
So today, like I said, we're discussing Snowpiercer. It's a movie about the end of the world, but it's got a twist. There you go. Uh, <laughs> basically, humanity, uh, you know, we cause climate change. We uh, put out a lot of CO2, a lot of greenhouse gases. We warmed up the earth to the point that it was unsustainable. So then some scientists, they said, we can fix this if you deploy this chemical into the earth. But it went too far. Becca? Far, far, far. It went too far. far. And it actually froze the earth right up. But crazy train man, Wilford? Yes. Wilford built a train that goes around all the continents and uh, housed a bunch of people there, and that's all that's left of humanity is what's left on this train. Uh, we are introduced to the tail section of said train at the uh, start of their revolution to take over the train because they don't like being treated like garbage. And from here on out, we're going to go spoilers. That's just the setting. That's the start of this film. If you don't want spoilers for the rest of it, uh, go watch it. It's a great. It's a great way to spend two hours. Yeah, I would recommend it to pretty much everybody. Yep. I concur. Spoilers from this point on. The revolution is mildly successful. All right, just spoiled it for you. <laughs> just spoiled the whole movie. Let's get some hot takes going here. Becca, hot take, go. Ooh, hot takes. I really like this movie. Like, this was my second time seeing it. And the first time I saw it and this time, I was just surprised at how good of a movie it is like i feel like it's very well-rounded and we get to know this world really well and like all the details are kind of fleshed out so we like understand how everything happened and it all makes sense but it's not given to us in a cheesy way it's not like someone is just saying everything that we need to know um but yeah overall i thought it was a really good movie and probably the biggest thing that stood out to me was colors i love the colors of the movie can you show me all the colors of the wind, Becca, in this movie? Um, no. All right. Well, Sid, hot takes. <laughs> um, so contrary to popular belief, I actually really like this despite almost falling asleep in the last 20 minutes. I did really like it. I'm just very tired today. But anyway, I thought it was great. This is my first time seeing it. Um, I've been really excited to watch it. Probably my one of my favorite things is just the world building and how it just kind of I love when a movie just like throws you in and they like almost give you no explanation. This movie is very good with the show don't tell. I think I think it's great. It's kind of what Becca said. Um yeah, I just think it's super great. Uh Captain America goes crazy in it, which is always fun. And I actually really liked not necessarily the music, but the absence of music. Especially during fight scenes. But yeah, that's my hot take. Uh, my hot take is that this movie is awesome. And I don't just mean that in that like it's good. I mean that in like the red-blooded American male of like, it's awesome. <laughs> like, it's just a really cool movie. <laughs> it really is. It's so, it's, it's just awesome. Like, there's so many moments that just make me like, kind of tense up and go like, Argh! you know, it gets me so hyped. I love this movie. <laughs> like, it's just, it's. It's a freaking adrenaline trip from from start to finish. And although the version that we have, uh, full disclosure from the beginning, uh, doesn't have subtitles for the Japanese or Korean or whatever they're speaking, um, 
throughout, so we don't really know what they say. So if we missed some giant thematic <laughs> elements. That's your full disclosure. I did, it, during the course of this movie, log on to Amazon and buy the Blu-ray, because I'm like, I'm not watching this without subtitles again. It's just not going to happen. So um, the next time I watch this, I might have a totally different interpretation, because now both times that uh, Becca and I have seen it, we watched it without subtitles on the... Uh, the foreign language parts so maybe they discuss some big existential crisis that we're totally gonna miss but um, we miss the entire overarching theme of i the wouldn't be surprised movie. because it's, like they leave a lot of the dialogue in in i don't want to get it wrong either japanese or korean i don't know what they're speaking they leave a lot of it until the end and they have these big long drawn out conversations i'm like they're probably saying important things but there's some small conversations throughout and it feels like it's really important and yeah. i think we kind of get got the gist of it seems like we get the gist yep but i don't know all right uh so that's my my big hot take is that this movie's just so cool <laughs> i just love it, it. Really like it just makes me happy to watch it i get happy <laughs> watching this movie and after uh last week's or not last week's what would have been two weeks three weeks ago we watched i'm thinking back to dancer in the dark oh very sad and it's nice to watch a movie that i'm just like oh this is awesome <laughs> Like, can we do, I just want to do like Mission Impossible 2 or something for the podcast. Yeah. Just so I can be like, man, that scene where he jumps off the motorcycle and <laughs> Roundhouse kicks the guy or whatever the crap he does. Like, let's just, I want more of that. Let's do that. But this movie's also really sad. Yeah, it's really sad, but it's really awesome. You're right, and it's pretty awesome. We need to do like a retrospective of the Fast and the Furious series as well. <laughs> Those movies are just awesome. I tell you, in Fast 6, have you guys seen that? I haven't seen any of them. So no. there's a moment. There's two highway overpasses, right? Now, um, Vin Diesel is on one side. And um, his girlfriend somehow gets thrown out of a helicopter or something. I don't know. I don't remember. She's in the air somehow, suspended over the gap between the two overpasses. Now, Vin Diesel somehow weights down his acceleration pedal and gets out onto the hood of the car and rams it into the side of this highway right uses that momentum to launch himself in the air grab his girlfriend michelle rodriguez out of the air and then lands on the windshield of another car and they both walk away completely unscathed <laughs> and it's the most amazing thing i've ever seen put to film oh my god that that is the most amazing thing absolutely no competition wow all right we, I showed it to somebody at work the other day, and I ended up watching the video six times. That's not an exaggeration. <laughs> I just wanted to see it again. <laughs> so uh, anybody out there, I get accused sometimes of only liking depressing dramas, right? Like, well, if it doesn't have some sort of crazy, sad ending, then you hate it. I'm like, ah, I like awesome movies like Snowpiercer. <laughs> make you feel like a man? It's got my engine revving, I'll tell you that much. All right. But there are several things that I talked about because here's the thing. This movie doesn't have a 94% on Rotten Tomatoes for nothing. 94. Yeah. And that's out of pretty high. like 250 critics. Let's see how many. Because that's also a very important thing to look at when you're looking at. 230 Jeez. reviews. Only 13 Rotten reviews. Who thought this was Rotten? Let's boycott them. Let's fight them. I'll fight you. What do they have to say? Snowpiercer is so didactic, it will give intellectually sophisticated viewers a headache. Oh, jeez. 
It will give intellectually sophisticated viewers a headache. What's that supposed to mean? Uh, toot your own horn a little more, Joe Bendel from the Epic Times. Heavens. Jeez. We're coming for you. We're coming for you. We're the new critics in town. Let's talk about this, though, because I actually wrote down uh, both of the things that you guys mentioned in your hot takes, and then I've got a handful of things that I'd like to talk about as well that I'm curious for your thoughts on. Uh, and I want to start actually with SIDS because I think that the strongest aspect of this film is its setting. Because the setting really allows everything else to move forward and allows the plot. And I think that you said it right when you talked about world building. Um, I think this movie does an incredible job at really, like you said, building the world and putting you in it and uh, allowing you to experience it. And kind of peeling back the layers as you go. Each section of the train reveals something new. Um, but uh, what I really came away with it, or came away from, came away with from the movie, is that the world just feels lived in. It feels like there's history, and like these people have history together, and you, you feel that. And it's not forced. It's not like they sit down and be like, remember... 17 years ago when we became friends that was cool it's just like you just feel their camaraderie and mm -hmm. and the relationship they have with each other uh but Sid, i'm curious to get your your thoughts because you brought that up in your hot take so what were your i guess favorite elements of the setting slash world building slash whatever i think one of my favorite things for, through the first i don't know probably 30 minutes the whole time i was just like i have no idea what's going on i have no idea what they're talking about what they're alluding to but it's awesome like i just love it's also one of the reasons why mad max fury road is kind of one of my favorite movies oh i'm so glad i love that's that what movie, that's one that of the movies, movies where it's just <laughs> awesome oh my gosh i love that movie but anyway that one you just it throws you in that and, movie when the dude with the guitar oh my gosh up, i just oh my gosh I don't care what anyone says. That movie's incredible. I think I lose right? 10 pounds watching that movie. <laughs> <laughs> I just start sweating. I told some friends how amazing that movie is. And then afterwards they were like, um, can we talk about how you said that was a good movie? Like, um, can we talk about how I'm never talking to you again? Anyway, I haven't talked to them for a while. <laughs> um. <laughs> but I, I just... I just love how they just like put you into the situation and yeah, very slowly they'll kind of clue in on some details that are um, important for the, the plot. And it's really not till the end when uh, Chris Evans kind of has his, his little monologue where things like really kind of just set into place. So it's just throughout the whole movie. I have no idea what's going on, but it's awesome. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think they do a really good job of using like things that make sense to talk about the world. Like they give like a bunch of the history in the classroom setting and like they're teaching the kids. So like obviously they're talking about their history and that's where they talk about the world and there's more world building throughout each car in the train. And I totally agree. Like the world is awesome in this movie. It's just, it's really like, uh, it's unlike any world that I think I've seen. But also feels realistic. Like, it feels like that could actually happen. It's believable. Yeah, I mean, if some 
I think the biggest, uh, I guess, suspension of disbelief is that he managed to get so many countries to work together. Yeah, right. And like, I just kind of would have, the dude's crazy. Um, another thing that I, 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 I mean, I liked several things about this, um, but I also like that we come into this 17 years into the train. So you have tons of people who like only know the train. He calls the little girl a train baby. Like she literally doesn't know what it's like to not be on the train. Um, and even him, like he was 17 when he came onto the train. So like basically doesn't even count. Right. Yeah. 17 year olds. Um, but I thought that was a really smart, uh, I guess, uh, time period to do it in, right? Is almost two decades into the history of the train and into the life of the train because, um, you know, when you think about what they're fighting for, they're not fighting for like a restoration of some life that they knew before. They just want to not be treated like garbage. Yeah. And that's um, kind of one of the interesting things that I, so I wrote down a bunch of notes on Curtis, specifically on Chris Evans' character. Um, and my, my biggest question when it comes to that is what do you guys think that he wanted? What was the goal? You know, I thought about that a lot too. And like, I have some questions about like his motivations because there's so many times where he chooses. I don't, I don't even know if it's a selfish choice, but he, he chooses things over what we would normally think you'd choose things over. Mm -hmm. Like, um, when they're in the train and Edgar has the knife up to his throat mm -hmm. and instead of choosing to go save Edgar, he goes and grabs the miss, the lady Tilda Tilda. That's not her name in the movie, oh, but what's her name in the movie? I don't have any I idea. I think it's Morris. Mason. 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 Okay. Anyway, that was like a decision that I was surprised by. Because normally in movies or in the world, I guess, when you talk about, like, a main character, they tend to make, like, right moral choices or whatever. Um, but it's hard to know which is the right choice in that situation. And so it's hard to know what his motivation is. But, like, I think his main motivation is, like you said, to not be treated like garbage and to just, like, make a better life for himself. Yeah, so they always, they just talk about, um, like this being a revolution but they don't they don't like spell out their terms you know what yeah. i mean like the idea is like get to the front kill the guy and i guess put the old guy in charge what was his name the guy with one arm gilliam gilliam like put gilliam in charge like that's the whole idea here i guess but then like they don't necessarily i don't know they didn't necessarily thought out like what happens the day like, what happens when you wake up the day after the revolution? Mm -hmm. Like, do you go back to live in the tail section? Do you then become the front section? Do the front section and tail section then mix? Like, what's his goal here? You know what I mean? Does he want true equality or does he just want to become the upper class? I don't know. But that's what one of the things that I thought was super interesting about his character is that every decision that he makes serves that goal of toppling this structure, right? And what he wants to have happen afterwards is the kind of the fluid part. But he's so dedicated to this idea of toppling the the hierarchy that's been established that every single thing he does serves that. And he will sacrifice 
anything to get there. I think that's a really interesting character trait. Well, and obviously spoilers, but I think part of that might have been kind of put in his head by Gilliam. Yeah. Like from what we learn later, um, Gilliam is like helping whatever his name is. Wilford, Wilford. I want to talk about that later. Okay. Yeah, we can come back to that. Um, but Wilford tells us that Gilliam is helping him. So you could say that like Gilliam has just been putting these ideas in Curtis's head for the past 17 years and they're getting fed all of these ideas through the little like bullets that are getting sent back Mm -hmm. of like what needs to happen and what they need to do. And so I don't know. It's just interesting once you get to, once he gets to the engine and once you get to like towards the end of the movie, how, um, Wilford's just talking about like order and class structure and you see Curtis just standing there thinking like, oh, maybe this is what I want. Maybe I want to be in charge of keeping everybody in order. And I don't know. He just in that moment to me seemed very like vulnerable and like he could have been manipulated the entire time. So I do want to talk about that and maybe this is the right time. But one thing I do want to mention is that as far as, like, awesome, like, moments, I think number one really has to be when he walks up to that dude, puts the gun to his own forehead, and then pulls the trigger. Because that's just, like, switching from all the different angles and just, oh, it's so good. Like, because if you, you, uh, they do a good job at showing it, but he's the one that reaches up and pulls the trigger. The soldier doesn't pull the yeah, trigger. Yeah, I didn't realize that. Chris Evans walks up, puts the gun to his own forehead, and reaches up and pushes and pulls the trigger. Yeah. So, like, again, that's what I mean when I say that every single thing he does serves this goal, and he's willing to sacrifice anything. Like, he's pretty sure that they have no bullets, but, like, if anybody's going to figure out, it's going to be him. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, I don't know. I, that moment is just so freaking awesome. <laughs> but um, I'm curious you guys' thoughts on this. Do you think that Gilliam was working with Wilford? Yes. You think so? Yeah, because I, I, I just had this realization. Because um, when he's talking to Curtis, Gilliam says, when you get to Wilford, don't let him talk, just shoot him. Because he didn't want him to figure out that he was working with, they were working together. See, I think I take that line the exact opposite way because I did remember that as well. Really? Yeah. I think that Wilford is just really smart. And he knows that if he just goes to... Because this idea to him is that he has kind of groomed Curtis to become the new head of the train, right? And that I do think is true. I think that uh, Wilford has picked him to either be the new Gilliam or be a successor to be a leader of some sort, but to be a leader specifically in Wilford's pocket, right? Like doing his bidding. And I think that Wilford is well informed enough of what's going on in the tail section. I do believe, uh, you know, the thing that he says about stirring the pot and him inciting the revolution. And obviously he's in charge of the little silver pills, but I don't think that Gilliam was actually working with him. I think that, Maybe Gilliam knew what was going on, maybe not. But I, I take that line when he says, don't let him talk, just kill him, as the the opposite. That Gilliam knows that Wilford has this, this silver tongue, this ability to just get people to do whatever he wants. Mm-hmm. And um, 
but then maybe I don't know. Now I'm considering it because that that that's how I took it is that he knows that if uh, Wilfred has the chance to talk, that he's going to be able to flip uh, Chris Evans right mm-hmm. to work for him, and so whether or not Wilfred knows what's going on, and maybe he knows that because Wilfred managed to flip him. I don't know. Point being, I think that Gilliam did want Wilfred to die. Yeah, I agree with that. Mm-hmm. I just don't know if he was actually working with him or not. I don't know. I'm a little undecided. But I think that the the way I took that line, especially knowing the end of the film, is that Gilliam knew that Wilfred would be able to convince Chris Evans to basically become his little his little slave, mm-hmm. and he didn't want to give him the chance. But yeah, but if Gilliam was talking to Wilfred every night, like I don't think he was. You don't. Where would he have gone? I don't know. I don't know. Think about the logistics of them talking every night. You know what I mean? Like, does Gilliam just go a few cars up to get on the phone and nobody notices that he leaves every night? I have no idea. But, like, how would Wilford know about Curtis so well? I mean, he runs the train. I'm sure he's got cameras or I don't know. I think it's more plausible that he's got some form of surveillance on people than Gilliam sneaking away to talk on the phone every night. You think? I think so. Hmm. I don't know. I don't know. But yeah, I think that there's just uh, uh, several moments that really define Curtis's character for us. And I think that um, when he pulls the trigger is one. Um, and then there's that moment. And it's it's so interesting because they take the opportunity to not only show us something about Curtis's character, but about the perception that the back end of the train has of Curtis, right? Um, during, I forget which of the fights it is. I think it's the, uh, the one where the dudes with the axes show up, but before it gets dark and, um, Edgar like does that body that he like body checks the guy and mm-hmm. saves Curtis and Curtis slashes the guy and just keeps moving, right? Like no hesitation, doesn't look to check if Edgar's okay or anything like that. And you see this slow motion as Curtis runs past and you see the look on Edgar's face of like just like worshiping this guy like he is the bee's knees cat's pajamas coolest dude that has ever lived mm-hmm. right i mean i'd worship him well but for, that's <laughs> what i'm saying so like but they show like this is how he's perceived and then mm-hmm. literal minutes later we see chris evans not save edgar mm-hmm. this dude who was just worshiping him mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i just think that's really interesting i guess an interesting take on both his character but they also show his the perception that other people have of him and I guess why they feel that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause he's dedicated in a way that they're not. Yeah. Well, one of my questions, not really questions, but I guess that the movie poses, um, in that scene specifically was like, just the idea of like, do you save one person or everybody, which is kind of what he was facing. Like he was like, I can go get this lady and stop everything right now, or I can go save Edgar. And I think most of us would want to go save Edgar, like I would. And I was like, no, go save Edgar, go save Edgar. But he chose to go save the lady, and which ended up helping everybody. But I think that's just kind of like his character throughout is just like, it's just about himself mostly and like what's going to be best for everybody rather than 
I know that doesn't really make any sense, but rather than like choosing his friends or choosing the people he's really close to, it's about what's gonna work to reach his goal. It's like how to keep himself alive the longest so he can benefit everyone later. Yeah, exactly. See, that's interesting. Um, I don't know. I'm so split on Curtis. Like, if he was being selfless or selfish in all of this. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because it, it reaches kind of a critical tipping point, I guess, where, like, when does it stop being worth it? You know what I mean? Like, how many people have died in your little revolution? Like, how many people are you revolting for? And he just keeps going. Mm -hmm. Like, no matter what. I think a lot of it is more redemption. Where he's talking about his story where he almost... He almost ate Edgar and, like... He almost... He tried to cut his arm off, but he just couldn't. So, I think a lot of it is he's trying to prove to himself and to everyone that he is the team player and he'll do whatever he can to help everyone. But I think that most of his decisions throughout the movie are selfish until the very end when you like, when he sees the two children and he realizes like, Oh, there's other people Mm -hmm. like I need to be taking care of these people. And that's when he starts acting selfless. He finally gets to lose his arm. I know, I thought that was really sweet in a terrible way. <laughs> the only thing I could think about was Bucky from oh, Avengers. Geez. Just like switching roles here. <laughs> I was making a lot of comparisons through the whole movie, but whatever. Between Captain America and Snowpiercer. Yeah. <laughs> no. um, I, I, I don't know, I, maybe I agree with you. Maybe redemption is his. Because I feel like it's... Redemption in itself, especially the way that he, I feel he was viewing it, was selfish. That all he cared about was getting redemption. Yeah. So, like, he he figured to get to redemption, he had, he had to um, act selfless. So, maybe that's the answer to the question of what does he want. Maybe he doesn't even necessarily care about, like what happens the day after the revolution. Mm-hmm. He just has it in his mind that if he stages this successful revolution, then he will have redeemed himself from these horrible things that he did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I can, I can buy that. I can agree I can with, that. with that. Um, let's see. Uh, another thing I want to talk about. So let's jump on to, to Becca's hot take, and we can talk about this pretty quickly, I think. But um, I think that the... Uh, the, the cinematography um, and the um, colors were pretty awesome throughout. Uh, the first one I noticed, uh, I wrote down two of them. Uh, the first one is when the yellow, the yellow coat lady comes out mm-hmm. um, to get the children. And you see, um, you know, these people are all grimy and everything's just kind of gray and whatever. And this lady comes out in this bright yellow coat. And it's like, oh, shoot, like, there's there's something up there. Yeah. That's, like, significantly different. And I actually remember the first time we watched this, and I'm glad, I'm, I'm kind of glad they didn't go this route. The first time we watched this, I had a theory throughout that I was like, there's nothing up there. Mm-hmm. I'm like, it's a freaking loop. I'm like, there's two tail sections, basically. 
and there's just a few people in the middle like playing with each side i'm like they're gonna get all the way to the front and realize that it's no better and these people like the yellow coat lady were just playing them which would have been kind of cool yeah i'm glad they didn't do that it would have been cool but i think i would have been mad if they did that yeah yeah I that's agree. why i don't write movies because that's what i would have written yeah <laughs> um and then also the way that they show blood in this movie yeah is it's kind of similar to Django, and that it's super vibrant and really contrasts a lot of the other stuff that's shown on screen and you see it's kind of interesting because you don't really like even though there is some pretty violent stuff happening you don't really see a lot of blood until the fight with the dudes with the black masks mm-hmm. because to me that's when at least in uh like in curtis's mind like that's when things become real and i think you see the spilling of blood tied to his attitude towards everything he gets a lot more serious after that even though he's pretty serious before he's not a very chipper dude mm-hmm. yeah so i liked those two what were you said colors during your hot take becca what did you yeah i definitely noticed those two and i also loved how the colors just kind of changed from car to car that you go through and you get like just such a wide variety like when you go into the classroom it's so bright and colorful and when you go into like the aquarium and the little like tree greenhouse section and like the colors just change to fit the mood of each train and each car and I just thought it was like a good way to transition from place to place so I really enjoyed that agreed um tying in with the color there were a few scenes that i was super impressed with the cinematography um there's honestly a few scenes where i thought it was a little lazy and other scenes that super impressed me so it was kind of a mixed bag as far as cinematography goes um but the first uh the first one that i noticed was uh the tunnel when they uh, that whole sequence the action the action sequences in this film are directed incredibly well um but specifically when it gets all dark and you see it through the night vision and then you see the torches come up and like all of that is just those shots are so cool i love that scene so much i thought that's definitely one of my favorite scenes in the in the movie um but then i thought probably the single best shot in the movie was when they were eating sushi and you kind of get this panning shot of it starts out with like chris evans and um octavia spencer and then it it kind of goes over and you get this like image of the sushi bar and the sushi chef and then it goes out and it kind of hovers on the outside for a minute and everything is just frozen and you just kind of get this this i guess amalgamation of all of these different images and uh settings that are taking place within the film you have the outside you have the rich folk and you have the the tail section folk and it's just in this one image you see how all of those are starting to kind of blend where before they were so disparate and i thought that was a really impressive shot yeah, I agree. <laughs> Let's see. So, um, yeah, I think that's, I guess as far as craft goes, like that's, those are the things that impressed me most. I thought that the direction, the, the direction during the action scenes was incredible. I thought there was some really impressive shots. My favorite sequence, however, is the fight in the sauna. Yeah, that one was really good. I couldn't get that enough of that. That was pretty cool. I couldn't get enough of that. I'm just really mad that that one guy died. Like, I don't know what his name is. The oh. one that had, like, tattoo surrender boy. or die. Yeah. yeah. I just call him Tattoo Boy. Because I, I was like, come on, man. You're better than this. Like, you could beat that guy. But he didn't. Clearly, he couldn't. 
Clearly. He tried I was his mad. best. He was like the uh, the ninja version of Dino from MasterChef. <laughs> <laughs> I can that, see that. That's another one. Dino I don't get from that. MasterChef. If you're out there and you listen to the podcast, <laughs> open invitation to come on and talk movies with us. Just be our friend, mostly. <laughs> yeah. Dino, I'm going to buy your cookbook when it comes out because I love you. Um. Yeah, that, that was my absolute favorite scene. What were your guys', I guess, favorite scenes in the movie or sequences? My actual favorite scene was right before the fight scene with all the, the hooded men. Because just like with the music and they're just like staring at them and they got the weird fish and they're dipping their axes in the, the fish blood. fish was awesome. It's just, I, after that, like the actual fighting started, I was like, can we just go back and watch that? 30 seconds again i just thought it was so awesome and it just like it really like ramped you up for what was coming i thought it was amazing and it terrified me i can't imagine what i just i don't know just so much of it because it was so terrifying like it got me just like ready for all the fighting and it was just oh it was awesome that scene was really really cool and i loved the girl's face because she like always knew what was coming Mm -hmm. and she just like stares terrified at the door and she's like don't open it. Don't open it. And it opens and it's just a bunch of men with axes. And when that first happened, I was like, this makes no sense. They wouldn't just be standing there just like waiting for them to come. But then by the end of the movie and you realize that like they're being fed all these like tips and stuff like mm-hmm. um, Wilford knew what was happening. So he was prepared. Because Wilford so was like the revolution sense. was supposed to end at the tunnel. Yeah. So... It made sense by the end of the movie why they were there. But I think I would agree with Sid, that scene. But, like, the beginning and the end of that scene. Because I don't love a ton of gore. But there were some really cool moments. Especially when they go over the bridge and it's New Year. And, like, (laughs) just everybody stops. (laughs) And they're, like, raising their axes in the air. And they're like, Happy New Year! (laughs) So I do, I kind of want to talk about that specifically. Is the element of goofiness in this movie mm-hmm. like there's a lot of stuff that's just kind of ridiculous yeah like that like they're like stop and they all count down the new year and like everybody just stops and they can't and like the children's song yeah when they're like freeze and die what happens if the engine stops we all freeze and die and they're like dabbing and stuff and like <laughs> <laughs> like it's just completely ridiculous and then like wilford's counterattack to all of that is to send a bald guy with a wheelbarrow full of eggs like (laughs) (laughs) i don't know i think the goofiness is kind of another part of the world building and how separate it is that the people who live in the front of the train like they they don't even realize how terrible it is in the back and they don't even care they're you know saying that they smell like poop and all that stuff so i think it's how removed they are from how terrible their lives are in the back it's very hunger games i was just gonna say that it really is (laughs) because again like hunger games is similar like you get to the capital and it's just goofy like it's just totally ridiculous Mm -hmm. and that's like i don't i don't know i believe that that would happen if you like have a group that's totally separate from everybody else and they have all these nice things and they're rich and they have, I mean, it you does know? happen. If you look, yeah. at the, if you look at the ultra rich, like their lives are just ridiculous, like silly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like huge swimming pools at their houses. And all that. Like the Bluths from 
Arrested Development. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Like, it's a banana, Michael. What could it cost? Ten dollars. <laughs> I was just. Gonna say that. You've never stepped foot in a grocery store, have you? <laughs> but yeah, so I mean, it's like we don't have to pretend. Like it's. I guess it's. It is in both of them though it's what happens if we let that silliness go unchecked yeah and like you end up with like the rich kids that like they're stupid like they have a, like a party bar car and like mm-hmm. they're all wearing dumb costumes and stuff <laughs> yeah whatever bah. um one more thing or another thing that i wanted to touch on um is that something that i really loved in this movie is uh there were these i didn't know how to take them but like these elements of either like like supernatural elements or like elements of preordination mm-hmm. like things that people should not have been able to do or uh, like shouldn't have been possible so it was like i i even said this out loud when we were watching it when uh when tattoo boy like throws the knife and gets the teacher i'm like when would he have practiced that is he just, like, knife-throwing in the back of the car? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, he's just, like, supernaturally good at, like, ninjaing around and throwing knives at people, right? But, like, there's no feasible way that he would have been able to practice that. Like, he just is good at it. And he's really young. Like, he probably spent most, if not all, of his life on the train. Yeah. Like, where did... I mean, I'm sure they figured out a way to give each other tattoos, but, like... All of that came from living in the back of the train, yeah. but he was the only one that had it. Yep. Um, and even like that scene, another one of my absolute favorite sequences is when Curtis and the guy are like, the train has like gone around a bend and they're like shooting at each other over the gap. And Curtis is like sharpshooting with an Uzi. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like he shouldn't, when has he ever shot a gun in his life? Yeah. It, it even shows him he doesn't know how to reload it properly. It takes him forever to reload the gun. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. But then he's like nailing this shot as the train is moving. Like there's wind outside and like it's just, you know what I mean? He's yeah. just nailing <laughs> these shots. Like, I don't know. And then I put here, uh, comb over Superman. I don't know what his name was, but I think everybody knows who I'm talking about. The the zombie guy yeah like what on who really? can't die you know what i'm saying like michael myers what happened to him like he just he, exactly we just watched halloween and that's actually a really apt <laughs> comparison <laughs> like dude gets stabbed dude gets shot like he even takes down tattoo boy which is really depressing it is really depressing r.i.p i don't know so what do you like do you, is that just an element of the world or like what i, I guess why like we talked about that this is kind of plausible as far as like if somebody could manage to build a train like the idea of like the class separation all of that is entirely plausible like why do you think that i guess these like i said like supernatural elements were included? and by supernatural i don't mean like spooky i mean like outside of what is natural yeah i think it might be kind of part of the world because there's so many people that have something like that like even the girl that's helping them as well she can like sense what's behind the doors yeah, and like write that one down, but you're right She's, she can see through doors yeah so like there's a lot of people maybe it's the um what's it called chroma is that what they call it oh the chrona chrona what did they call it what? chrono chrono yeah that's it maybe that's it that's what's giving them all these weird powers they're all just high yeah the whole thing is just a hallucination and chris evans said yeah he's just riding on a train <laughs> the whole time yeah and even, I think that that idea 
so I, I lean more towards the idea of like preordination than I do supernatural that like, you know, Chris Evans was preordained to be this revolution leader and tattoo boy was preordained to be this like crazy ninja dude and come over Superman was preordained to be unstoppable because that idea of like preordination, everything being, uh, you know, planned for you even comes back in, in the conversation with Wilford that he planned the revolution. Like everything was planned. It's mm. kind of like hereditary. It's nothing like hereditary. Sure it is. Except for Wilford <laughs> is the grandma in this. What? No. So in Hereditary, the grandma planned everything out and everybody was just pawns in her little plan. <laughs> in this, Wilbur planned everything out and everybody was just pawns in his little plan. Okay, that's the only similarity. Hereditary is superior. <laughs> no. Also, Blade Runner 2049, great movie. Oh, Gotta make a reference. Gotta make a reference. So I thought that was interesting, that idea that like so, so many things in this movie seem to be just like predestined. Very interesting. Very interesting. Um, and then the last, I guess, theme that I would say uh, that I got was that of overcorrection. And by that, I mean, like, that we as humans have a tendency to overcorrect, right? Like, we see a problem and, like, we go way too far fixing it. And mm. that's kind of consistent throughout the movie. He says, let's take over the engine, but instead blows up the whole train <laughs> exactly and like that's the one consistent thing is like plan or like problems are identified and like no matter who does it they just completely overdo it like you know humans were like oh global warming is bad it's like we freeze the earth instead <laughs> and like wilford is like yeah maybe we should do population you know we need to control the population instead of like condoms He's just like, nah, every few years we're just going to murder a bunch of people. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? He's just like way, way, way overcorrects. Yeah. In like all the worst ways. And that's another one. Is Chris Evans is like, you know, the train is a problem. Probably just derail it. <laughs> you know what I mean? I don't know. I thought that was an interesting, I guess, through line is that no matter what the problem is, everybody's completely overcorrects. <laughs> But I don't know, that does kind of feel like a natural human tendency. Like, yeah. like I think we do tend to overcorrect. So I think that felt natural in this movie and like believable. Yeah. No, I agree with you. I think it is a, a, a thing of, of human nature. Um, but I thought, I, I don't know, I, it's not something that I've noticed in a lot of movies. And I did notice it in this one that specifically their reaction to problems seemed to be very strong. Yeah. Um, those were my notes. Um, the only other note I had that is maybe a little bit different is that I thought the acting was really good in this movie. Like, I was very impressed with all of the acting, really, and just like the facial expressions and all of it, like acting, A+, plus, great job. I agree. I think Tilda Swinton is so great in this one. She just like gives you the creeps and she just like, like when you look at her, you know that she would just like smell like an old lady and she'd like get up in your face and like she has like the arthritic hands and just like she, she really embodies a weird, gross old lady. You would not put a shoe 
on your head. <laughs> that whole speech is just incredible. Oh, I have a question. Um, this mentioned it. This was mentioned a few times throughout. But what did you guys think of the like hand motion where she like stuck her hand forward and twisted it and then brought it back and twisted it and yeah. it showed Wilford doing that and the kids, the yeah. kid doing that. I think it's just the preordination thing. Everything is thought of beforehand. All right. Hey. <laughs> it was just i don't know like i loved how um it focused on that like every time she did that it would like zoom in on her hand mm-hmm. yeah and it was like really creepy i don't know there's like a weird thing with hands because there's you know gillian cuts his arm off uh what's his face curtis gets his arm chopped off the guy know. gets his arm maybe frozen he's just off. like the opposite of quentin tarantino and he has a hand fetish or he really hates hands hmm We'll never know. Let's ask him. Come on the show. We'll have you. Whatever your name is. Boon. Boon Ho Bong. I don't remember. We sound so racist. I'm <laughs> so sorry. <laughs> it's all Andrew and Sid. I haven't I'm even a tried, good you guys. <laughs> um, but no, I really do think that it's just uh, another element of things being foreordained. All right. I can see that. Everything was pre planned. What are the questions you have? Uh, that's all. Is it? Uh, I think uh, one thing that I really liked is how realistic the fight scenes seemed. That mm-hmm. in, I especially noticed it in the, is it the sauna? Yeah. When there's no music and like you can just like hear everything. Did I steal something? Right? No, I okay. just, I'm getting excited <laughs> thinking about it. Because like, you can just like, you you can hear them grunting and yelling. And then, um, oh, I've thought the kind of like the shaky kind of frantic filming during the fight mm-hmm. scenes was very realistic too. And it, all of it was very immersive. Like you were actually kind of there. Yeah. You were experiencing everything they're experiencing, except for getting stabbed and yeah. killed. Jumping back to, I guess, both of your points, I do want to give a shout-out to Tattoo Boy in that scene. Um, the performance he gives when Comb-Over Superman is trying to kill him, and, I mean, succeeding. And, like, you see, like, the knife goes through his hand, and he keeps it there, and you see the struggle of, like, he's fighting to keep it away and, like, really struggling, and then you see, like, that moment where he realizes, like, crap, this isn't going to work, and he, like, starts crying. And then he gets him. Like, shout out to, to Tattoo Boy there. What's your name? Luke. Luke Pasqualino. Luke Pasqualino. Okay. Yeah. You have the mask down, too. Up. Oh, there, there we go. go. <laughs> Luke Pasqualino. What have you done, sir? He was... A good looking person. Right? He's a cutie. Um, well, he really hasn't done much. He's a lot of TV stuff. Uh, producers who listen to this, uh, go out and find yourself Luke Pasqualino for your next movie because he's a great actor. He gets the We Watch Movies seal of approval, right? Yes. Yes. Cool. Um, yeah, so I think, you know, Chris Evans, Tilda Swinton, Tattoo Boy were probably my top performances. I thought they did a great job. Yes. Cool. Um, anything else? 
That's all I have. Here's the thing. This movie, it's got a lot to say about class struggles and I guess the natural order of humanity that we didn't really touch on. And like, um, I think one of the questions that it asks that is a larger discussion than this podcast is the format for is like, is it possible to truly have equality among humanity? Like, or will, because, um, Ed Harris has that line where he says like, you see what people do without leadership. You know what I mean? But like true equality would be like having no leadership. If you think about it in like the truest sense, it'd be like anarchy. So I guess the, the, one of the questions that, one of the questions to ponder in your philosophical little minds is like, is true equality possible for humanity? This movie, I think talks about that. One thing I want to touch on before we stop, what do you guys think of the ending? Is it hopeful? Is it bad? Um, I like it a lot, actually. I don't know if it's hopeful. It kind of ends on a hopeful note, but there is no way that they're actually getting out of those mountains. You don't think so? No way. No. Like, they would have to survive for so many days and just walk and walk and walk and walk and walk. And you can't just drink snow. Like, you can't survive off of like melting snow or eating snow the polar bears eating something that's true but they've lived on a train their entire lives they have no survival skills here's the thing yeah if they just start walking sure they're probably not gonna make it very far you go back you load up protein bars you get as much supplies as you can and you just start walking down the mountain you get to a lower elevation i think the movie ends like giving us the idea that they could do that but i don't think they actually would i think it would just be the end, and I'm okay with that. You're okay with humanity just not existing anymore? Meh. If we make that many stupid decisions and wreck the earth that much, we don't deserve to live here. All right, you heard you heard it here first. <laughs> Becca's opinion, we had it coming. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Sid, what do you think of the ending? You said it's not hopeful. Mm-mm. I mean, I think just watching the ending and not thinking about anything once the credits roll i think it's like pretty hopeful like oh these two survivors they're happy and alive but then you just think about it and like what if uh the polar bear comes and eats them likely polar bears are mean that's how that's how the polar bear is staying alive people are jumping off the train maybe (laughs) but no i just i don't think because even once they get down to a lower elevation, like we saw um, the lowest you can go in, in one scene, you can see like frozen ships. There's no vegetation. There's That's nothing true. to eat. So I just, I kind of think that it's a pretty dismal ending. Yeah. I would agree. But I do like the ending. I like yeah, that they crashed the good. train. There's this um, idea from Game of Thrones. Hang on. Give me one second. To look it up. Um, let's see. Um, so, <clears throat> for those of you uninitiated in um, Game of Thrones, um, it's a, a Game of Thrones. It's basically all of these different houses, families are in competition for the Iron Throne, which is the the number one seat in the world, right? That's where the the king and or queen of the Seven Kingdoms sits. And Daenerys Targaryen is one of those who is struggling for it. 
And she says, this is the quote from uh, Game of Thrones, says, uh, Lannister, Baratheon, Stark, Tyrell, they're all just spokes on a wheel. This one's on top, then that one's on top, and on and on it spins, crushing those on the ground. I'm not going to stop the wheel. I'm going to break the wheel. And that's kind of her approach to trying to take over the Iron Throne. Um, but I thought that that was, I don't know, that came to my mind when, when watching this. Because, you know, if you think about it, like, yeah, like, Curtis could just become in charge. And the wheel turns and it continues to crush people. But he actually does that. He, he doesn't stop the wheel. He breaks the wheel. And that's a pretty cool thing to do, I think. But also, I know we keep saying that, like, Curtis stopped the train, but he actually didn't. Like, it was the girl. True. Like, they, from the beginning, when they started helping, that was their plan, I think. Even though we couldn't hear what they were saying. Like, or we couldn't <laughs> understand what they were saying. I think that that was their plan the entire time. And everything that they did throughout the whole movie led up to that point. And I think, had the girl not gone in and showed Curtis the little boy he would have just kept the wheel going. That's a fair point. I hadn't thought about that. So, I think it was all the girl. Go girl. Yes. <laughs> what was her name? Did it say her name ever? Uh, I'm sure it did at some point. Um, Yona. Yona. There you go. I don't know. Just an interesting point as well. Yeah. Overall, the movie's just awesome. Yeah. If you just like a good, entertaining movie, watch it. Recommend it to your friends. Watch it with your mom. Yeah, do that. You could watch it with your mom, I think. <laughs> right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. This is a mom-approved movie. Uh, final takes and rating on the Weston scale. Becca, go. Well, like I said in the very beginning, I think this is a really good movie. I was really surprised with it when I first saw it. And there's just like a lot of great things going for it. So definitely recommend. And I think I would give it an 8.8. It's a pretty good rating, Rebecca. Yeah. Sid. Um, yeah, I love this movie. I think it's great in terms of a sci-fi movie and it just has like these awesome scenes and world building but it's also thought provoking and character development is great in it i'm honestly probably going to go home and rewatch a few scenes because they're so awesome um and yeah i'm going to give it a 8.6 what no 8.7 that really that point one really uh -huh. <laughs> Made it difficult for you, huh? Yeah. It's important. See, Sid actually keeps track of what she rates the movies. I do. Yeah. Becca and I don't. I really should. We should. Um, I love this movie. It gets my blood pumping. I just love it. Uh, seriously, just go watch it. If you've listened this whole time and you haven't seen it, I don't know what you're doing, but go watch it. It's awesome. Recommend it to everybody. Watch it with your mom. I'm going to give this one, because here's the thing. I think you have to rate a movie uh, based on what it's trying to do, right? Like, in the like realm of public of like importance of art sure like blade runner 2049 is a 10 right <laughs> but like i would call like most of the fast and the furious is like high nines just because they what, <laughs> at what they try to do they are so wildly successful you know what i mean and i think that's the the merits on which you have to rate a movie so is this movie one of the most important films 
And is it, you know, perfectly made and all that? No, but what, at what it tries to do, it succeeds to an incredibly high level. So I think I'm going to give this one a 9.0. Wow. All right. Puts us somewhere in the 8.85 range, I think. Yeah. On the Western scale. With my terrible in my head math. I think it's about 8.85. Yeah. Sounds right. Do we have any trivia? I forgot to ask. Um, I don't have a whole lot. Let's see. Um, yeah, I didn't have too much. Oh, one thing that I thought was really cool is during the torch scene, there's no other light other than the actual torches. That's so cool. Which is incredible. That is cool. Yeah. Um, good job, Mr. Director. That was a good call. Uh, Tilda Swinton spent more than two hours in the makeup chair. I don't doubt it. When she pulls her teeth out, that's so gross. Ugh. Yeah, that's yeah. Really gross. And every time they like zoom in on Come her teeth. Come on, <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, Has, Hang on. This is just a more general question. Has anybody seen a movie with Tilda Swinton that they didn't like? I don't love Lion, Witch, in the Wardrobe, but... She plays the, the White Witch, huh? Yeah. What else is she in? Let's see. Let's see. Uh, she's in Suspiria, which I'm super stoked oh, for. I'm so excited. I'm so ready for that. Um, oh, she's in Okja, which was made by this same guy and is uh-huh. apparently pretty good. I hear that's really good. Uh, Doctor Strange, she kills it. Um, Even though she's the wrong race for it, but whatever. Oh, I just watched We Need to Talk About Kevin. She's incredible in that. Mm-hmm. She's so good. It's down more. Oh, oh there you go. Yeah. Uh, yeah, she is in Chronicles of Narnia. Burn after reading. She's incredible. Um, Who is she in that? She's uh, Brad Pitt's boss lady. You, uh, guys, you guys should see Sid's face right now. She doesn't <laughs> believe me. I'll, okay. I need to check my sources. Let's see. We'll look this up. Brad Pitt's boss lady. She works at the gym. Oh. oh, oh, yeah. Oh, no, she's she's married to George Clooney in that. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Got it. Perfect. Oh, that's Frances McDormand. That's the gym lady. That's yeah. Right. Okay, I'm sorry. That's my bad. Okay, Strike it from the record. Um, But, yeah. Uh, As far as other topics and other movies we've been watching, we're probably going to just entirely skip that section because we are in the throes 31 days of October. That's true, we are. So if you want to know the thoughts, our thoughts, on the other movies we've been watching, go check out our mini, micro, compact, vacuum-sealed episodes that are coming out every Wednesday. And again, like I said, we are in the throes of 31 days of October. So uh, go to our Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash wewatchmovies, and then talk about them. Go to our Instagram page, which is at movieswewatch to download the calendar for 31 days of October. Except that this episode might come out nope. after October. Nope. Oh, it doesn't? Nope. This oh, will come out. Never mind. Babadook Forget was last I week. said that. Babadook was last week, and 28 days later is next week. That's right. So this is right in the Got middle of it. October when this is coming out. So uh, go download the calendar, follow along with us, and listen to the, the mini micro-compact episodes on uh, that week's movies, and let us know what you think of the format of that. It's a new thing for us that we're trying out. We're excited about it. We hope you guys like it. Yeah, let us know. But again, we thank you for listening to this episode. Go watch Snowpiercer with your mom. 
can't say it enough. Yep. Do she'll, it. she'll love it. I'm sure your mom's a cool person. Um, but if that's it, I think that's it. I think so. Yeah. All right. We thank you so much for listening. Again, one more time. Find us at facebook.com slash we watch movies and then talk about them at, on Instagram at movies we watch. If you mildly love us, go give us a positive review on iTunes. Helps us get to the top of the search results, which will help get our listenership up, which means that we get more people to listen to us. It's really the end goal here. I am Andrew. I'm Becca. I am Sid. And we love you. We love you so much. Yes. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. Bye.